Volume One, Chapter Eight of Bungay Castle by Elizabeth Bonhot. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Patty Cunningham. Thus stood matters at the castle when Sir Philip de Morney returned, accompanied by his friend Baron Fitzosborne, who was highly gratified by the cordial and respectful reception he met with. Every one vying with each other in their endeavors to amuse him he assumed the most conciliating manners, appeared pleased and good-humoured, paid the most flattering attention to the young ladies, and bestowed the warmest encomiums on their beauty and accomplishments, at the same time admiring, or pretending to admire, the maturer graces of the mother, who had given to the world a race of women fairer than the first daughters of creation and, to render the gift complete, had stored their minds with a fund of knowledge that could put philosophy to the blush at its own ignorance. Sir Philip assiduously courted the baron, seemed to watch his looks, and to make it his whole study to oblige him, thought as he thought, and whatever he recommended was sure to approve. Lady de Morney, seeing her husband so anxious to please, followed his example, not doubting but he had good and sufficient reasons for what he did she requested her children strictly to observe the same conduct with which request they all at first readily complied and exerted themselves to entertain their noble guest edwin was honoured with particular marks of his favour and approbation he promised his best interest to obtain him promotion in the army when he found that was the profession for which he was designed the baron was nearly as old as his friend Sir Philip. In fact, they had received the first rudiments of their education at the same school and under the same makers, and though their pursuits were alike, they had been thrown into very different situations, but ever retained a pleased remembrance of their boyish friendship, and took every opportunity of keeping it alive and serving each other. The baron, though large and robust, was neither clumsy nor forbidding in his appearance his eyes were penetrating he looked the warrior and seemed formed to command and be obeyed he was tall and had an air of grandeur about him that bespoke the man of fashion his voice was not unpleasing but he was rigid and austere with his servants and dependents and though upon the whole they found him a generous master as he had nothing conciliating in his manner to them they took every opportunity of abusing him for though they durst not venture to speak before him, they made themselves amends when they joined their companions in the kitchen, by giving such traits of his character as not only shocked them, but made them feel with redoubled gratitude the happy difference of their own situation. Rosaline, while she was compelled to treat her father's visitor with attention and respect, felt an invincible disgust whenever he addressed her and attempted to give specimens of his gallantry, which was often the case but if he took hold of her hand she shrunk from his touch as she would from that of a snake and trembled she knew not why if she saw him looking earnestly at her face edeliza laughed at and detested him she slyly compared him with de willows and wondered how nature could have contrived to form two creatures so different from each other bertha wished to pull off his ugly great wig and to have it stuck upon one of the towers observing that if his frightful face were seen from another no enemy would ever come near them how were they all struck with sorrow when they found he was to spend the whole summer at the castle rosaline with more earnestness than usual questioned her mother as to the truth of this report 
but received only an evasive answer that the length of the baron's stay depended on a circumstance not yet determined i sincerely hope my dear madam whatever it may be that it will at least prove unfavourable to his continuance here my father may and i dare say has just reasons for esteeming him though no one but himself can discover them every one else dislikes him and i shall most truly rejoice when he takes himself away my dear girl said lady de morney consider the baron's rank and the dignity of his character i do consider them she replied as the greatest misfortunes that could happen to any one unless accompanied with good humour and humility but i think it particularly hard that other must suffer so many mortifications because the baron is a great man again she was requested by her mother who could scarcely forbear smiling at the seriousness of her manner to recollect that men of his consequence could not bring themselves to act as if they were upon a level with their inferiors the more is the pity said roseline therefore my good mother it would be unnecessary for me to consider anything about the baron's importance since he thinks so much and so highly of it himself but i do not see for my part why rank and fortune should tempt their possessors to assume so much on merely accidental advantages or why people distinguished as their favourites should have a greater right to think and act as they please than those less fortunate we were much happier and more cheerful before he came among us and my father more indulgent your father said lady de morney with the utmost earnestness is i have no doubt perfectly satisfied that he is acting right and therefore you roseline must be blamable in the presuming to call his conduct in question i insist as you value his and my favour that you never again address me on this subject and let me advise you if you do wish to be happy to show no disgust to the baron but receive his attentions with politeness and good humour on saying this she withdrew and left roseline struck dumb with surprise to form what conclusions she pleased she knew not what to think from this unusually strange and unpleasant conversation and could not comprehend either her father's or mother's reasons for being so much attached to any one whatever might be his ranks who was so little formed to excite any feelings but those of disgust in the minds of those unfortunate people whom he condescended to associate she saw and lamented that since the baron's arrival neither de clavering de willows nor hugh camelford came without a formal invitation from her father while the reserve which prevailed in their parties banished all that enlivening conversation that once rendered them so pleasant her sisters too the dear edeliza and the sweet bertha were kept under so much restraint before this great personage they seemed almost afraid to speak roseline to shake off for a time these uncomfortable reflections stole into the prisoner's room in which she seldom failed to find her brother there she lost all remembrance of the baron and in conversing with friends so dear to her heart progressively recovered that native cheerfulness which was one of the most engaging features of her character the sonnets which her brother had so recently given her not only served to raise her spirits but had made an indelible impression on her mind she smiled with something more than even her usual complacency on this love-taught poet of his tenderness and sincerity she could cherish no doubt his honour and worth it was equally impossible to suspect no one knew them better no one estimated them so highly as herself to suppose he could be less amiable 
less deserving of her attachment would have appeared to her a crime of the most enormous magnitude thus did the fond effusions of love throw a veil over the eyes of their artless votary in order to give a fair colouring and to reconcile her to a conduct which in another her prudence would have taught her to condemn but thus it is with too many erring mortals when once they become the hoodwinked slave of any predominant passion they are not only regardless of the world's opinion but insensible to the secret admonitions of that silent monitor which they carry in their bosom roseline at first acted merely from the generous impulse of pity and universal benevolence but in so doing she admitted a guest to dispute with them a place in her breast which neither time reason nor prudence could banish thence our artless heroine was unfortunately the darling child of sensibility and her mind so susceptible of the miseries and misfortunes of others that from the moment she discovered them they became her own what then must be the poignancy of her feelings when she reflected on the dependent helpless and unprovided state of a lover dearer to her than life who dared not disclose even his name whose blameless conduct proved to her partial judgment that he suffered unjustly and whose virtues could alone reconcile her to herself for having risked so much on his account and entrusted her heart to the keeping of one whose situation precluded hope who had declared he belonged to no one a prisoner a stranger without fortune or friends yet think as she would these cruel circumstances after the strictest investigation acted as a talisman in favour of her lover the life which she fancied under providence she had been the humble means of preserving she concluded it was now her duty to render happy therefore to deprive it of its value by affecting an indifference she did not feel was as far from her power as her inclination yet there were moments when she recollected with the severest anguish how much her brother as well as herself was acting in opposition to the designs and will of her parent to deceive such parents was a thought which in her most impassioned moments she could not dwell upon but love and sensibility had woven their webs so close around her heart that she struggled in vain to disentangle herself from the bewitching snare sensibility i have long thought nine times out of ten proves a source of misery to the generous and benevolent and as often is merely the boast of the ignorant who pretend to be overstocked with the milk of human kindness and whose feelings are equally excited by the death of a husband or a lap-dog i am satisfied there is no blessing more earnestly to be wished for than a calm and composed resignation to the events of this life and all its complicated concerns it appears rather an irishism that to be happy we must become indifferent but so it is real sensibility is of all burdens the heaviest to bear long experience and careful observation have convinced me too painfully of this truth a thousand and a thousand times i have shed torrents of tears and felt the most tormenting anxiety for those who would have seen me with the most stoical apathy begging through the street for bread the pleasures attending high-raised sensibility are so much overbalanced by the painful effects they produce that i protest i had rather be an oak or a cabbage than alive to such ever-varying and corrosive feelings which act upon the human mind as slow poison would upon the body when roseline was going to bed the servant who attended her and who from having lived some years in the family 
was indulged in the habit of conversing familiarly with the young ladies, determined to get rid of a kind of confidential secret which had been entrusted to her by one of her fellow-servants. "'Laws, Miss Rosaline,' said she, "'what think you that frightful old baron come here for? As I live, I should not have dreamed of anything so ludicrous.' "'Came for,' replied Rosaline, "'why he came to see my father, to be sure.' what else could be his inducement for visiting this stupid place ha ha i thought i should pose you miss cried audrey drawing herself up and giggling at her own consequence why as sure as you be borned and christened he comed here to pick up a wife if he can meet with one to please his own superannuated megrims and his man pedro thinks as how a person i could name would suit him to a t but i thinks otherwise such an old frumpish piece of crazy furniture says i will not suit any of the ladies that belongs to the noble janitors of bungay castle and its environs you may be mistaken dame said the saucy fellow if they suit my master my master may suit them sure for he is as rich as rich as crazes for heaven's sake said rosaline what nonsense have you picked up you must not presume audrey to speak of the baron in so disrespectful a manner if my father and mother heard you i am not sure that you would be permitted to stay another night in the castle it would be a good story indeed resumed the talkative abigail to turn away a servant for such an offence as i have a soul which by the goodness of father anselm i hope to get saved my heart bleeds for you miss and i could claw out his ugly staring eyes for to think that you would be so sweet-tempered and kind and affable to your inferiors should have to nurse his crazy old carcass tis vexing to rosaline had started up in her bed as soon as she found herself so strangely introduced with the baron and seeing that audrey had taken up the candle in order to leave the room gently called her back and begged some explanation of what she had heard which she declared herself unable to comprehend mayhap you are so much the better said audrey less said as soon as mended as i have gone to the end of my line i may be turned away if i assume to speak of the beautiful old baron things will all come out in time i can be spectful to my betters they that like an old husband let them have em tis no bread and butter of mine good-night miss the baron is a fine old gratian and will make his lady marvelly happy saying this she left the room and rosaline was much too displeased to call her back a second time but determined to question her still farther the first opportunity the baron came to the castle for a wife it was too ridiculous to be believed but if he did he could not possibly think of uniting himself with her servants were ever prying into the secrets of their betters or forming such stories as only very ignorant people could think of inventing she now went to sleep forgot the baron and dreamed of the prisoner whom her fancy represented as being released from confinement and eager with the consent of sir philip to lead her in triumph to the altar of hymen to the delusive excursions of the soul we will for the present consign her but before we take leave of the inhabitants of the castle for the night we will just take a peep into the kitchen where around the blazing fire spread on a hearth four yards wide were seated several of the domestics earnestly engaged in talking over the affairs of the family each of them drawing the character of their master or mistress as the humour of the moment dictated and giving their opinions of actions the motives of which they knew so little 
that they were just as able without a fair and candid examination sir philip it was said was become quite proud and penurious the young ladies troublesome and lady de morney cross whimsical and suspicious suddenly the door burst open and a young man who had been for some time an assistant in the stables tumbled into the kitchen and with terror depicted on his countenance exclaimed i saw it i saw it i saw the light with my own eyes the ghost followed me up to the door and then it vanished in a flash of fire shut the door or it may get in this in a moment alarmed the whole set they all crowded round the terrified man and with one voice eagerly inquired what ghost what lights he meant and when and where had he seen them after drinking a copious draught of ale he became able to satisfy the curiosity he had excited and told them as he was coming from the stables just as he passed the gate of the inner ballium and was in within forty yards of the south tower he saw a light as plain as ever he had seen one in his life through one of the grated windows and after it had disappeared a few seconds it appeared again at a much lower window flashed upon the wall and smelt like sulphur at the moment it vanished a second time he saw something all in white which he thought glided past him but on looking behind him it was there also and it had actually followed him till he fell into the kitchen then as sure as we are alive said one of the grooms thomas has seen the ghost of the lady who died for love of the young officer that was put to death in the dungeons i have heard my grandfather say a thousand times he must have died innocent for he was bold as a lion till his last gasp well said one of the women servants i shall be afraid to stir out after dark if these confounded ghosts are again found taking their nightly rambles and prying into everything that is going forwards i always knew said another this castle was disturbed ever since the great clock struck twelve twice in one night for what on earth could touch it at that time if it had not been a spirit ah said the third no doubt there have been sad doings in the castle not since we came to it replied an old grey-headed footman my master has practised no deeds of darkness that would bring the dead from their graves as to what was done before our time that can be no business of ours and i don't see how any ghost can have a right to frighten and interrupt either by day or night those who were never acquainted with it christ jesus preserve us cried one of the maids i verily thinks i saw something glide past that door surely father anselm should be sent for to give them absolution there did you not hear that rustling i see and hear nothing said the before-mentioned old servant but what i wish neither to see nor hear you are all a parcel of superstitious ignorant fools and if my master should once find out what cowards you all are he would soon compel you to give place to a bolder set come come let us go to bed and leave the ghosts to do the same the old man led the way with a candle in his hand and the rest followed clinging to each other like a flight of bees not one of them daring to be left behind and the groom who had really seen a light from the tower inhabited by the prisoner was convinced he had seen a ghost that neither father anselm nor all the fathers in christendom could have persuaded him to think the contrary and so much had it alarmed him that his terrified imagination had mistaken his own shadow for the ghost following close at his heels and it was with some difficulty he could be prevailed upon by his fellow-servants to go to bed lest he should see it again the next morning when audrey went to call her young lady 
Rosaline requested she would forgive her for having spoken so angrily the preceding evening, and with the most winning softness begged to be informed what she meant by coupling her name with that of the baron. Audrey, who had never before seen Rosaline so much out of humour, had neither forgotten nor forgiven the affront of being prevented from disclosing a secret which she had for several days found very troublesome to keep, replied, "'I couples no one. Matches are made in heaven, or in the church, or at wakes. But I think, for my part, some are made in a much worser place, and so she will think, too, who is tacked in holly-bands with the old baron. But who do you think, my good Audrey, will ever be so unfortunate?' "'Why will you ax me, miss? I must not speak my sentiments. We poor servants never knows nothing. But this I do know for certain, if I ever marries, it shall be to a young man, a pretty-looking man, good-humoured ones I loves, something like Mr. Camelford, not to an old crab, sourer than vinegar, who would not suffer me to see with my own dear eyes, nor believe with my own natural senses, a crotched-paced toad.' who would shut me up for life. Mayhap if I liked a better or a younger man than himself, an accident I think that might happen. But how should the baron find out what you thought? By going to a necromancer. Such old cattle are to the full as cunning as their black master, and might strike one dumb. That, to be sure, replied Rosaline, would be a heavy misfortune to those who were fond of hearing the sound of their own voice in preference to that of any other person. "'For my part,' said Audrey, "'voice or no voice, I verily think something mendously bad after all will happen to this crazy castle, for Thomas last night saw lights in the south tower, and the ghost of a young woman followed him in such a hurry that if he had not ran as fast as a hound it would have stamped upon his heels. It went away like a sky-rocket, and the smell of sulphur almost suffocated the poor fellow, who will certainly have a paralytic stroke.' Lady de Morney's bell now ringing, Audrey left the room, without having said half so much as she intended to do about the ghost, or unburdening her mind of a secret she heartily wished to reveal. End of chapter 8 Recording by Patty Cunningham